everybody. I hope you're all well and welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List. This week, my guest is the wonderful John Aquaviva. John is such an incredible person. We've known each other for quite a few years now and every year I've interviewed him for different platforms. So when I first launched this podcast and I was sat writing out all of the guests that I would like to interview, John was at the top of my list. So I'm so happy that we finally made this happen a few weeks ago here in Ibiza. If you haven't heard directly of John Aquaviva's works, the chances are, whatever your involvement with electronic music is, that you'll be aware of his work and influence within the electronic music community. The Italian-Canadian artist is also known for his involvement with techno titan Richie Horton and the forming of the highly influential labels Plus 8 and Definitive Recordings, and his fruitful involvement with Final Scratch and especially Beatport being a vital founder of both companies. He's a pioneer of electronic music's technological evolution and helped sculpt the genre's game-changing transition from analog to digital and from vinyl to turntables and laptops. In sharing this vision with Richie Horton, they spearheaded a project that would act as the iTunes of dance, which paved the path for a new and zestful era. And then we drove down the road after playing the Reaper Bond, and um, I knew I had met this uh, guy. Well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this in a bag. So Sven Veit had contacted us, and I'm talking with Sven. And these are days of like phone messages and stuff, and you know, getting calling cards, no cell phones, you know, fax and stuff. But we had this agreement, and we we I knew who Sven was because as DJing, I was playing you know electric salsa. You know, I'm one of the few guys who literally played Sven Veit's record. You know, ba 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 ba. So. I mean, I was playing that stuff, so I too played, you know, different music in the 80s. And so Sven is like, I can't do it. John, we, we want to book, I have my birthday, and you and Rich, Richie must play my party. I absolutely loved recording this episode, and as you'll hear throughout the interview, I just couldn't stop laughing as his stories were cracking me up. As we spoke about his journey and his career right from the beginning up until now. So I hope you enjoy this interview. This is John Aquaviva on Can You Put Me on Guest List. John, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Yeah, it's great. As we were uh, joking before, it's uh, kind of our annual interview, but, uh, you know, uh, great that uh, we've come a long way, but we always have to make an official interview. We do. We actually, we we have done, I think, one a year. I think we have. Yeah, we keep it very civil, once a year, you know, (laughs) formally, you you know, for the press. Where I made you, I made you, like, walk, I don't know where it was, it was, like, in Talamanca, and it was, like, boiling, and I think you'd you'd been playing the night before. As I I do, as as (laughs) the hint, the hint in this interview interview is the sound of my voice. It's grovelly. Uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to get ready for all the ladies with my grovelly voice, which is totally a non-Aquaviva thing to say. But yeah, so Katie, the first time we really met, I have to, well, let me, let me turn this interview around. The first Go time we it. really met when uh, Katie, you know, let me interview you. I don't know if you remember the first time you met me, but uh, I recall you were this, uh, you know, uh, dynamic, vivacious reporter and full of energy. And uh, I put on my best uh, white clothes, hid my eyes behind my sunglasses. Yeah. And you're like, how do you want to do this interview? I'm like, oh, I'm pretty easygoing or with my, with my grovelly voice that I tend to show up at it interviews with. And Katie's like, do you mind going for a walk? I'm like, oh, absolutely. And it was, so by the way, it was... on this death march. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, li- I like you anyways. It's all good. <laughs> it was boiling this 
this day as yes. well. And well, you had luckily a l- I wore white, and she was surprised that John. I thought you were a techno legend. It's so cool <laughs> to wear white. Well, you know, I'm just I'm not what you think I am. <laughs> and it was long sleeved as well. Yes, I remember yes, it was yeah. a long sleeve white yeah. shirt, and I was like, yeah. poor guy, I'm taking him on this hike around Ibiza. I don't think he slept much. I think, I think much. it was a test. I think we were testing each other. And we were. We I think I think we got along. We fine. were. <laughs> so we passed each other's test, we and now uh, we can be honest with each other. <laughs> So because I had, like, obviously we're just saying I have interviewed you so many times, but in this podcast, everybody that's on has, like, all of the interviews, all the interviews are, like, a specific angle. So it's always been about a specific topic. And then when I was preparing for your interview, I was like, John has just done so much. There isn't just one thing I can ask him or one thing that we can talk about. So I kind of wanted today to kind of start from the beginning with you and just kind of go through the whole journey. Cool, and it's it's. I think it's interesting because like um, our current generation, when we look at it this decade, we have our memories, and a lot of our memories are the most immediate memories. So, um, and um, and we we. Uh, so I'm happy since uh, we've had a lot of immediate memories, you and I together. I'm happy to share maybe some things you didn't know about me, or, or other people. You know, before you were <laughs> we were doing bad things before you came here. Or no, not bad things. We we were having we, having we lived fun. here. We were living here and doing. Yeah living our lives and doing our things here, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, uh, so where do we start? Like, Let's, day one in Ibiza kind of thing? I think even before that, like, well, you're, so you were born in Italy, right? Yeah, I was born in Italy, so I'm, 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 I'm from the Mediterranean. Um, I, had, I had issues in Italy where uh, I immigrated from Italy, and then uh, when I started becoming um, successful with, with Rich and everyone at Plus 8, I was invited to Italy, but um, it turns out that um, having been born in my year, which I won't mention, because uh, but I, a long time ago, I was supposed to serve two years military service, and so I'm like, well, oh, great, I'll just call the government, going, look, I'm a Canadian citizen now, but I was born in Italy. Is it going to be okay coming to this country to do this gig? And I couldn't get a um, a waiver saying that they wouldn't stop me at the border and. Uh, you know, make me serve two years of military, which is, like, not sort of what a DJ wants to do in the prime of his career. And so I'm like, shit, okay, so I didn't go to Italy. So a Speedy J and Rich became very successful in Italy, and we became successful internationally. The one country I was born in, like, I had nothing. Luckily, this country called Spain, um, I was invited, and I I did the feature set. Um, Yes, I used to do those sort of events. Um, The second sonar... Uh, I was the DJ headlining with Orbital at Sonar 2. And Spain's like, who is this Aquaviva guy? We love him. And I'm like, I love you. So forget Italy. So <laughs> kind of like I felt like, you know, I was adopted by Spain. And for those of you listening, um, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of gigs. So people like when they see me like, John, I remember listening to you. And, you know, you don't play as often. Well, oh, I love Spain. So, you know, but I really covered every corner of Spain. So, I have a special so that's sort of my my start with sort of, you know, my birth, who I am, growing up in Canada, but I really feel culturally um, um, European. And even though I say European because I'm Italian, but Spain adopted me, so therefore, uh, thank you, Europe, and thank you, yeah. Spain, because we're very we're like cousins, our cultures, right? But it, if you go to Italy now, everything's fine, right? Uh, yeah, it took me uh, after you didn't have to go to 35, the... it took me two years to fix it, and now I have du- dual citizenship because I... Um, so now, now I do go back and do some shows. But uh, um, I didn't connect with Italy. So unlike some of the other guys, I, 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 
I love music and I, I love being part of a group. So I've never been driven to be an icon. And I, I love my friends who, you know, are the top DJs. But I've always been a bit of an iconoclast. I'm happy to be part of the, the world. And I still view it DJing-wise. If people see me, I'm always kind of like awkward. I'm not, I, I, I might seem disassociated compared to other DJs. But I come from a world where you have a good club, a good crowd, and a good DJ. And it's not about me. You don't have to watch me. It's not going like going to church or a rock concert or a big rave where everyone stands facing the DJ, like dance with each other, have a good time. Just listen to me, please. But like, I, I'm not here to be watched. You know, I'm, you know, maybe I'm just insecure and I don't look <laughs> in the mirror, but you know, I actually yeah. just, my part is listen to my music and I'll yeah. create your mood looking at your faces, but don't, you know, don't ask anything more from me other than giving you good music. It's like a chef, you know, the chef is in the kitchen. You don't have to necessarily wa watch, him, watch him, you know, cook. Uh, open kitchens are nice, but at the end of the day, do we really stand? at a dinner and literally stare fixated at the chef all yeah. night in an open kitchen. But do you say you know? this because you feel like this is what's happening now? Uh, no, I'm just trying to say who I am, but okay. it is what's happening now. Yeah. So like I am like, the, I'm not so, you know, we'll be careful. And I certainly, um, I, I love our world. I'm, I, I, I love being part of this scene. And, um, you know, I'll say it for, this is where my perspective is. And, and I think some of the underground people listening will will understand because the underground people it's it's not about this idol worship because we we love music for what it is um but the other people that's also business you know you know commoditizing and you know it's top down sort of and that's fine too i mean i've i've been in both worlds you know i've had different phases of a dj um and also uh, from our participation in the music business so you know same at beatport we did it for the love of music and we a lot of us loved underground music but we also sold all the commercial hits and i even had a few of the first electro hits that became edm and uh, i decided i didn't like it so i just didn't do it but you know like, far from me to say if it's good if you eat at mcdonald's or at a family restaurant i yeah. tend to choose the family restaurant i will tease my friends who eat at mcdonald's but i personally don't eat at mcdonald's when was the last time you had a mcdonald's oh, <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting old. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I will. I'm stubborn. I, I, I do stick to my principles. I, uh, unfortunately, a few times I've had to have a Starbucks coffee. But as an Italian, that's anathema to me. You know, it's a terrible yeah. espresso. Um, um, but that's a wasteland in North America. So you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so did you grow up around music when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. My early, early memories. Um, when we immigrated, I remember. Um, I think my my mom brought probably 40, 50, 45s that she had bought. She bought a small portable turntable. And I remember when I was alone, because my parents, you know, had to work the life of immigrants. My mother cleaned hotels, my father construction, and um, maybe watching TV. And, uh, and I would play these records. And then um, when I could in my early grades, I started buying 45s that I heard on the radio. And I loved happy music because I... I to be happy so uh, this is in the you know growing up in this coming out of the 60s and the 70s i just fell in love with the dance music so i mean i love and and some again some people have heard me play even though i, I was got recognized for techno uh, techno is like you know it's like eating a, a, an array of food so techno is a, a main dish but 
I was DJing before techno, and I love disco. I mean, I I don't mind blowing people's minds, but I like making people happy. I like going to a club with good-looking people. And what's wrong with that? Like, you don't need to be so cool that you make people, like, you know, twist their brains. Like You I know mean, what? You're me, such a happy person. I feel happy when I'm around you. I think you are a person that I work hard makes to be, people happy. Thank you, but I work hard to be grouchy at the same time. <laughs> 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 I do like to poke, you know, poke okay. the bear. No, yeah, but, yeah. but no, no. I mean, at the end of the day, I do it in jest because, like, you know, let's not be so serious and so vapid. And so, like, you just admit it. It's okay to be aggressive. It's okay to be, you know, there's a time and place for everything. Yeah, but let's definitely. not be so damn serious. And I saw also the same thing is, like, sometimes I'll go to techno events, and at least some of the techno people are, are wearing more than black. But, like, <laughs> black is a punishment in the daytime, people, so don't be so damn techno. But, you know, <laughs> like, let's be real. Or you can sweat, and it's not my problem. I'll sweat in my white clothes. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> my, my colorful clothes. Well, somebody makes me hike up a mountain. Which is why, for example, like sometimes I don't do a lot of official photos, but in Ibiza, my favorite photos are when I'm in uh, taking photos in the oleanders and stuff. It's okay to take photos with flowers. Like yeah. I like flowers, you know. Like, I like sorry, flowers. sorry. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, it's okay to admit that you. Can of course, it flowers. is. It so is great. <clears throat> great, and that's why we get along. Yeah, exactly. That's why friends. <laughs> and we're feeling quite colorful as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, flower, we're, your flowery okay. shirt. Then next year, we'll take it to the next level. We're going to videotape and people can see what we're wearing. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll do that next yeah. time. We, I think we're a good match. Yeah. Yeah. You should see what we're wearing, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you were growing up, did you always know that you wanted a career in music? I didn't always know that I wanted a career in music, but I knew for damn sure that I loved music and I, wanted, I kept buying records. And then... Um, while going to school, we would have the school party and I had records and I'm like, oh, I want to play this one because like, I think this is really nice and it would be the, fit the Aww. mood. You know, because I actually, uh, you can see when I when I get engaged, I, I have to think I'm not socially awkward, but when I like people, I just overwhelm them with like talking and I was the same guy at the party and I was maybe too awkward to dance with the girls, but I, I thought I could play a record that would make the girls happy so maybe I could impress them, you know. So I had to figure <laughs> out how to impress people. And so since I couldn't do it with my overbearing discussion I would like, I could make people happy at parties. And plus, all of a sudden, you're the center of attention at a party because you're the DJ. Now, now I wasn't picking up girls in the you know elementary school. but <laughs> And that I was never my motivation. My motivation was I can connect with people sharing music. So, yeah, you know, I actually wanted to share music like, like my mom wants to share food. You yeah. know? And I think that a lot of great DJs have that element, you know. I understand you in the room, and I want to present an oral feast of music that I love, you know, and, you know, that's sort yeah, of my yeah. approach. So, so um, where did your career start? What was the first well, thing? Well, doing uh, school parties and then um, uh, going out, sneaking into clubs, because in Canada you had to be 19. Um, but I was doing parties, and, and, and um, I grew up near Toronto, and Toronto and Montreal were some of the great club cities. Um, Historically, especially the British magazines went to you know New York and found those guys, and there was actually a thriving scene in Florida. There was a, a you know Chicago had its scene, but um, our scene was very good, but it, it wasn't as publicized. But I come from a school of three guys who were uh, great DJs working the first super clubs of Toronto. So before government, um, that club, one of my friends worked at um, the original government, and. Uh, uh, opened in the um, late 80s. And before that, there was a club called uh, the Copa that was about 2,500 people. And um, um, 
two of those DJs were part of my my group of four DJs over 20 years in my city of London that worked in this discotheque called Notes. I was the last of the four, but um, so uh, my friend Joe Bodner, and this is something kind of funny, and I'll tell I'll tell a little secret of like I was never a struggling DJ because I come from a thriving DJ culture. In 1982, my number one DJ at my club, and DJing was like football. You're number one, you play all game, you play all night, and you play all week. You don't let the number two guy play. It's not like now. So again, older DJs, you hear the stories of like, um, yeah, I used to play all night, kid. Like, you have no idea. Yeah. Well, this is my sort of like, let me tell you, you know, who's your daddy kind of let me tell you something. Um, yeah, I used to play all night. And uh, so even though I got um, doing parties, at 18, I became the backup to the best club in town. I was like 1981. And, but my number one guy would never let me play, you know. Um, and then... He knew he was leaving to go to this club, and he was making, like, over $2,000 a week, which is actually wow. So, yeah. yeah, actually, DJs weren't making money in many places, but in Toronto, the top guys, and one of my friends was, he was making over $100,000 a year. So, trust me, I didn't run off to join the circus. I was making really good money as a DJ, even though I come from a, a, a very working-class family. So, um, so he let me start a Monday night. He's like, no one comes Monday, kid. You can finally play in public, and there's no one coming on a Monday. Within a few months, I had, like, hundreds of people coming because I was playing new music, kind of like how every scene starts, right? Because he was playing soul and funk at the death of disco, and I could play soul and funk. So on the weekends, I was playing soul and funk for people who are in their late 20s. So an 18-year-old kid playing for these people who love music. So it was a disconnect because I was also a bit of a new wave guy. But I, I developed a brand-new night that was hugely successful like that and I ran it for eight years and I was making a lot of money from that and that's where I always played new music which is you know 1982 I became the number one DJ and the other DJ the club was called RPM his name was Terry Kelly which became government which is one of the all-time great clubs in Toronto and he too was was one of the great mixers so these are the guys from my school and it's important you know for an artist or an athlete what school or what training so I come from a, a very unknown but very gifted school of mixers and Amazing. turned out to be being the youngest sometimes as it happens i turned out to be as good if not better than my masters yeah <laughs> that's wicked so, so there i i've not really told that story so it was a long Love one but that. that's kind of cool and that's really the you know the origins of a clubbing so i came from a hotbed of clubbing before it was you know yeah the worldwide and i'm like well i don't know i thought the world was going to be like this in europe kind of had it so when we came here um you know, I'd done eight years, and even though I got famous for techno, I'm like, let me play your club. Give me a chance. And I became a pretty successful club DJ in Europe. <laughs> yeah, pretty. I would say that. I'd yeah, say I got, pretty successful. I booked a few gigs. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. So when was the first time you came to Europe? So the first time we came to Europe oh, as DJs was 1991. Uh, I had met Rich Houghton in 1989 in Detroit. Um uh, got to know a lot of the Detroit guys. We decided to make our own label, called it Plus 8. And we did three records in 1990. And um, uh, States of Mind with Rich and I, and then I produced the first Kenny Larkin. And then we did Cybersonic with Dan Bell. And Cybersonic became a big rave hit, a big you know, techno hit. And uh, we got invited by fierce ruling diva, these guys in Holland, um, to do a party in Rotterdam and their boat party. There was a famous boat party. And Fierce Ruling Diva, these two lovely guys, uh, they were lovely. So we stayed at their house. We did their boat party. And we did this 
crazy event and things happen really, really fast after that. So we, I remember landing in Belgium and then driving up to Amsterdam because we had to take the cheapest flight as it still happens this day yeah. with, you know, yeah. DJs like your cheapest flight and take a connection. And, uh, but that's the price of getting connected and, and playing. And then, and then that year we ended pretty strong. We were invited to Berlin independence days. I did the, we did the birth and this is also, so we did a really big tour. We did a few other things, but in November we did a tour of Germany and we did Berlin independence days from the guys who became Low Spirit with West Bam. Um, we s quickly followed up doing the first May Day uh, event, uh, Save DT64, which became the May Day Festival. Um, but um, after um, Berlin, we went to Hamburg and played on the Reaper Bond. So anyone with a sense of history, I'm like, holy shit, I'm playing the Reaper Bond. Didn't the Beatles play the Reaper Bond? There's something cool here going on. We show up at this <laughs> record shop in uh, Hamburg called Container Records, who went on to be a great distributor. And they had our logo on their wall and we autographed it, like me, Rich, and Speed. I'm like, holy shit. Like, there's something, like, I can't believe that these people like, like our records. I thought we were freaks. But there were <laughs> freaks in every city who, who were like motivated by this techno and then we drove down the road after playing the reaper bond and um i knew i had met this uh guy well i i can't i can't i can't do this in the back so sven Veit had contacted us and i'm talking with sven and these are days of like phone messages and stuff and you know getting calling cards no cell phones you know fax and stuff but we had this agreement and we we i knew who sven was because as djing i was playing you know electric salsa you know i'm one of the few guys who literally played sven Veit's record you know blah 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 so, I mean, I was playing that stuff. So I, too, played, you know, different music in the 80s. And so Sven is like, I can't do it. John, we, we want to book. I have my birthday. And you and Rich, Richie must play my party. Wow, Sven, amazing. We're there. So we drive from the Reaper Bond to, like, you know, Frankfurt. And we do his birthday party. And I'm like, holy cow, I've, I've gone to Mars. Like, everyone's dressed up, like freaks and we're just like boring nerds from you know and, black. Uh, yeah at the omen and it was so hot that speedy j couldn't play like his his sampler just was melted it was it was one of those oh i'm like the omen was the omen i'm like holy shit i have gone to like hell and back and to the edge of the universe sven is like i thought we uh, in my mind i thought it was crazy in reality that was off the hook but the funny thing is the typical aquaviva is like we play all night. Okay, we're going to drive. We're going to get there early, and we're going to check into our hotel. So, of course, even to this very day, riders are not easy to come by. You know, a DJ, of you course. get a rider, and someone's not there. So, Sven, I love you, but let me let me, let me me throw some dirt on you, buddy. Because, like, so we show up, and I'm like, all I have is Sven's contact number, right? What am I thinking? We drive all the way from Hamburg. We're dead tired. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. 8 o'clock in the morning, we pull up to the Hope to Bonhoeff, the train station, and it was like really seedy and red light district in the day. And I'm like, guys, okay, we're here. I'll just call Sven and I'll find out what our hotel info is. How naive. So I'm calling the number. I go get a phone card. Yes, you used to have to go to a phone booth and have a phone card. I don't know how young you people are. but So I've, I've, I'm in Germany. I can't speak German. I'm in the seedy red light district, which I'm, you know, I'm not really afraid of. But like, I'm going to a phone booth and I'm calling from a phone booth with time and again. And I'm getting an answer message. Yeah, this is Sven. Leave a message. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> and we're sitting there dead in a in a van. We're sitting there dead in a van. Super like 
And, and like we're sleeping in our van, like I don't know when this guy's gonna wake up. What am I thinking, a DJ who doesn't sleep like me? Like shit. And we probably <laughs> waited like six hours until uh, I'm John. I'm so sorry. Your hotel is just over there. Like ah, no, thanks, fan. We love you. But and then the night was crazy, but whatever. And then I then that night we had a party that was like seven thousand people in Rome that I couldn't go to as part of my earlier story because. So with, with oh, because that was when you couldn't correct. get there. So ah. I stayed alone in some bag, dirt bag hotel in Frankfurt while Rich and Speedy played for seven thousand people and became famous. And I, I lost my opportunity. But so uh, <laughs> like I, I, I've had so many hard breaks in my life. You have no idea. I'm sorry. To, oh no. I'm sorry to complain. My life just went down the tubes starting that November tour. That night. <laughs> yeah. That was the and one. it's all Sven's fault and Italy's Sven. fault. And who else can I blame for my my poor career? Richie left. All you rich they all they all abandoned me. All you people, I made it despite you, man. You and used look to, where I, you are now, John. Look you, where you are I now. I thought you people were my family. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, and I've gone. I've just, I've just dropped a bomb you on Span and Rich. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I love that you anyways. The best story ever. I love you anyways, but <laughs> <laughs> you're not the same no after hard, a but. No hard feelings. Yeah. <laughs> no hard feelings. You know, I played for Sven a few more times. You know. <laughs> oh, you did after that, huh? You yeah, went I back. A, I closed a few cocoons and. <laughs> he gave me a free drink the other night in the booth and a photo op. It was all Thanks, good. <laughs> oh. no, we are, we really are family. So, and don't even get me started with Ricardo. Or maybe we should talk about Ricardo. Talk about it. Tell me everything. So, okay, now that we're like just <laughs> dropping gossip of, of another era. So, um, so then um, we really kind of connected, and uh, I I did a few small parties and. Uh, even though techno, I was like pretty overwhelmed at the intensity of the techno, and I really like playing smaller clubs. So um, I, I got a few chances to play some clubs um, in uh, Western Germany. In uh, um, I, I was doing regularly this club called the Rote Liebe in Essen, and then I was doing parties in Wiesbaden and Darmstadt. And uh, I think after one of the first parties I did, I uh, I started working with um, you know Heiko Anata from uh, Low Soul. Uh, who went on to do Robert Johnson. Heiko passed away, one of the first-year friends, because they were all at the Delirium shop in Frankfurt, uh, where uh, Roland Lesker, who went on to start... Um, um, you know, get physical. Roland, I would fly in in the morning, have coffee with these guys, um, and we'd buy records. And then there was another guy who was throwing parties in Darmstadt. And at the time, he was a young Chilean promoter. It was like Ricardo. So they were like all friends and family. We did some legendary parties. But so be before Ricardo DJed, like I was like one of their first guys. We were all hanging out and playing together, doing parties. I would sleep at his house, and, and, uh, and he would always... And he was like <clears throat> a lot like Rich where... It's got to be different. It's got to be that new experience. It's got to be, but it's still for the love of music, you know. And Ricardo is that guy, and but we all shared that. So we would do a lot of parties, and so uh, and even people today when they see Ricardo and I, like they, they don't know that history. And sometimes, like yeah. uh, we were at one party where I hadn't seen Ricardo in a while. I've, I've been hanging a lot more uh, with him, and and Ricardo's just like, "Stop kissing my hand." I'm just talking to John, so like you know, for an hour, <laughs> you know, because it's funny because people pay privilege to him, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're like, "What does he do?" Like some people, are like, "What the hell?" is Ricardo talking to that old guy for, you know? <laughs> no, well, you know, some people recognize. But like, shirt. you know, when <laughs> Ricardo, you, like, you're spending way too much time with that guy. You know, like, I need to... Do you know who that guy is, It doesn't though? matter. A few, I, no, it's more... Well, I, 
I, I had to say it because you understand, but I didn't mean that in a bad way. But you know, it's like when you see old friends, is like you know, you're in public. It's like, sorry, this is like you know, I need to like yeah. you know, give me some slack. You know, I, I'm just like leave me alone for a bit. You know, because so, you don't want to be rude. But then when you don't see each other that much, so um, we have that kind of relationship, which is really nice. And yeah, those are the all the early days of those first parties. Set those those relationships. You know, just like we were talking about when we met. And when someone's in the industry for a while, you kind of remember those first times, and you evolve, and you have your moments, and you have your work times. And um, but you know here we are, and and it, and it's part of. Um, I think it's important to to bond over these things, and and it's funny your first impressions of people. It's funny how they're they're kind of still what keep you there. First impressions really are usually correct. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So well, especially going back to first impressions, if Sven left you hanging that day. That well, that's <laughs> why I said I love him anyways. You know, uh, you know, I I I am kind of passive aggressive, but deep down, I I try to be try to be nice to people. I think I should like yes. Let's talk a little bit more about the business side of things. Sure. So, what was your first? business in the music industry? Wow. My first business was, um, I was, uh, even though I was DJing full-time at a club, um, I would work part-time at a store ordering all the dance records. So I'd work one day a week, order the records, and then also get my discount for working one day at the store nice. ordering my records. And so when I did the first Plus 8 records, I put my family home number, <laughs> my of my parents' phone number, and still to this day, the early Plus 8 records have my, my parents' uh, oh, uh, phone really? number. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember buying a fax, so my office, well, that took me a few years later, so the first records, I had the fax of the record store. So um, when we did Technarchy, the fax machine started getting faxes making offers for this record and so everyone at the record store is like john because they, they like a lot of people in kind of in my city weren't really into dancing music they're like i know you made that record but like holy shit you're getting like these faxes asking offering you money and the, the kind of little jealous a little confused a little like <laughs> you know you're just that crazy guy who works one day a week and you're that club guy and and you're that intense weird dance guy whatever you know yeah. just there's like there's no you know I just kind of like it's it was coming from another world like this guy in a small town is getting requests from big companies for for licensing his weird record you know <laughs> so I'm like sorry but luckily the um, the owner Sid Atlin lovely guy who built a, a whole uh, chain of stores around used records and then specialty things like um, dance music he he was uh, one of my few mentors and he's like go for it John don't worry you got like you know I fully support you which is how it should be right when yeah, you work definitely. at a store you know it's great that a musician whether it's a musician or a DJ works at a store because it's a virtuous circle so anyways he supported me and so I think uh, you know it quickly grew into a, um, it quickly grew into what at the day was a 15,000 pound deal uh which is pretty good, wow. but it wasn't that good in retrospect because, like, I'm, we're not going to get into details. But basically, um, through the record store I worked at, I got my first big fifteen thousand pound deal. Uh, I had no real idea about record contracts. It wasn't a good contract, but I needed the money and. We made the best decision we could with Rich and I. We took the money because I needed money to press more records. So, yeah. and then um, it turned out that uh, like this, this track sold hundreds of thousands of, uh, if not millions of compilations. And we barely got more than 15,000 pounds. So the guy fucked me and it was a guy called Mel at Champion Records. He fucked a lot of people. Um, but um, 
I, I confronted him at the end of the 90s. I'm like, I'm here for a long time. Like, yeah. you shouldn't have fucked me. Well, I don't know where he is now. Well, he's, go, probably, yeah. he's probably in a grave. He was older, but whatever. I have no no uh, sympathies or remorse because I think our business, um, just because you've been fucked and you've come from an abusive relationship, which is what a lot of music is, doesn't mean if you know you've been fucked, you know, you don't have to fuck the next person. And I think that that's wrong. So, you know, um, and that's something that I learned just because I got screwed and then I learned the, the tricks of the game doesn't mean that I had to screw people. And I think that that's a big part of our reputation. A lot of people, also the stories of Ibiza, you know, I, you know, they're funny, but there's a lot of dark stories here where, you know, people came and they get crushed. And yeah. that's, that's not the person who I am. Like, if I see that, then I'm now strong enough. With my history now, I just don't allow that in, fr in front of me. I just won't let that happen. Yeah. Or, you know, I will. Otherwise, I don't care. I'm pretty easygoing unless, like, and, and, and people who know me, like, I am that, that serious guy. Like, if I yeah, get pissed yeah. off, I don't, get, I don't look for troubles, but I also say, I think this is wrong. And, and, and we have to stick up, you know, for, for each other because otherwise, that's your character screwed. and your responsibility. So, so, you know, without getting into the details... I, I'm tougher and I think I'm smarter for it. And I also, you know, the, you have to stop that. And that, that speaks to everything, right? If you know better or you can do better, then do better and don't fucking use an excuse, you know, to do the same bad things that happened to you because that doesn't make you any better. Yeah. And, so. Yeah, and otherwise we would all just be screwed. Yeah, so it be as that, is that, is that crucible. You yeah. Know, people come here, they get crushed, and the people who work here, you get crushed, and, and some of the people on the island, um, you know, some of the clubs, some of, you know, it's... It's a, uh, you know, uh, eat or be eaten, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, and, and so, yeah. Know, yeah. So uh, just going back to what we were speaking <coughs> about at that time. So you were working at the store. You were DJing. Yeah. Um, were you traveling the world as well at that point? Uh, or were you just starting 1991, we started traveling. And so not, it was a busy not like time. my three times, you know, this month I went to Europe and South America three times each. So I, I went a handful of times. Yeah, yeah Rich and I really did explode. Yeah. We were um, part of the vanguard of the international DJs. So, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, we were, we were traveling a ton. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, quit, I pretty much quickly quit the store because uh, that was the least of my, I didn't need record discounts anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, well, I didn't need record discounts. I made very good money, but it, the whole thing is being part of the community. But I already started withdrawing from my city and I pretty much had given up the club because I had been there eight years. I was kind of burned out when I, when I met Rich. Yeah. I literally, uh, you know, lived acid house. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Let's not go into that. <laughs> so did you guys have a team behind you at that point, or was it just you two on your own? Yeah, me, Rich, uh, <laughs> my girlfriend that became my wife, uh, and then Rich's brother. Yeah, basically it was a family business. And yeah. uh, But by the end of the 90s, we had like 30 people working for us, so. The end of the 90s. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, so um, as busy as I was, I was managing people. So for people who know me now, and I do this and that, it was always this and that. You so know. you were managing people at the same time? Oh, you mean yeah, managing I was running team? the company. No, I was running Plus 8. I had a, I had a vinyl plant. Uh, we had distribution. We were doing accounts. And so, yeah, I was running a company of 30 people while being wow. a rock star DJ doing 120 gigs. So when people go, how do you do it? I've just always done it because um, I wanted to be in this business. I love what I do. And I... Um, you know, I just, I, I don't sleep because I don't want to miss my opportunities and live up to my responsibilities. So mm -hmm. in my group, like, uh, 
you know, I am that guy like who will lecture people just because, you know, and I hold that to myself. If I party all night, I have no excuse for missing this interview or or blowing something off because I have to do that and something else tomorrow. Yeah. And your life can fall apart when you when you miss your opportunities, you know. I, I think I'm very good at what I do, but if um, if I keep breaking my appointments with you, you'll find someone else, yeah. you know. It does amaze me, though, yeah. because you, all, you, you, you do and have done so much um, in this industry. Is there? Do you have a way to balance, like, nightlife with daylife, or is it you're uh, just so used to it I now? do, but, um, you know, don't try this at home. I, I am a bit of an anomaly, and I don't know if I made myself that, but I'm so driven, but I also so enjoy the life that I chose that... I went through a phase, and sometimes you'll hear DJs complain, oh, you have no idea. I actually have to fly to Columbia and economy tomorrow. If you just hear the things coming out of people's mouths and you actually live in a real world, you realize how dumb a DJ can be. So I, too, was guilty of, you have no idea how hard my life is. I'm making too much money. I'm partying too much. I get paid, you know, to drink free alcohol and and everything else. Uh, you can't understand how, you know, I get paid to stay in a hotel um, and paid to travel. So, wow, I get paid to travel. I always wanted to travel. I love music. So as hard as it is, after I stopped complaining, like, like I actually take, you know, energy telling you how tired I am and w- yeah. that I'm going to South America three times because I get to, you know, get paid to be a tourist. I was in Peru and I went to the the, the, the tomb of the Lord of Sipan because I'm into ancient uh, culture and before the Incas I went to see some of the ancient tribal Mochica cultures and I got paid for it. So how can I complain to you that I haven't slept this month when I think that's pretty Ex- damn exciting. Yeah, very so, exciting. So it's funny, it's the way you think. You can be energized by the fact like, I'm so busy, but damn, I'm having a good time. Or I'm so busy, you have no idea how painful it is. Painful, really? Like, you know, some people work all year to have one experience, Yeah. right? Everyone's like, I'm going to work all year so I can go two days to Ibiza or or a week here. Um, Yeah, reality check DJs, your private jets and all your bullshit. You know, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. So at dinner, I'm always lecturing my DJ friends. Like, shut the fuck Fuck up. Are you kidding me? Like, like you can say this to me, but don't say this in public, you know, because you guys are spoiled brats, you know. So (laughs) these are all my younger brothers. So I'm like the elder brother who actually had to earn his way. And we've all learned our way, but I won't let any of our guys. So I'm the one guy, like, like, I love Rich and, uh, you know, Dubfire and and all the guys. Like, we're always like, we're all family friends. Like, anytime there's like, oh, man, I'm super wiped out. You're like, I'm like, Rich, Ali, really? Come on, man. Like, not, like not, not, and then I'll start to be grouchy and whatever. But you know, <laughs> but you need that, that in a family. It's so true. And you somebody need, needs to tell you. Need that, that in a family because, like, uh, you, you, when you have those moments, of course, your assistant and your stuff can't tell you. So when we all get together, we all give each other a reality check and we take the piss out of each other. And I have to confess that. Even uh, those guys, uh, if you interview them, they'll find a reason to take the piss out of me. But I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with me. I'm just going to tell you what's wrong with my DJ friends. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me. There's and if they and if they home. tell you if they tell you there's something wrong with me, don't listen to Sven or Ricardo or whatever. These people, man. Even Luciano, 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 and his friends were like when I went to Chile for the first time to play, and I played with you know Ricardo in the Oz Club 19. 94, so the first international gig. And and I always so another thing about me is I always forget the first time I meet someone. So Luciano's like, remember me? 
I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> you know, like, uh. it's like, I was, remember the time in Chile and I'm having wine at his house. I, it was like me and Martin, we were like, we were taking you around. I'm like, of course, of course I remember Luciano. <laughs> so happy here we are again. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm like, dude, I, you know, like, you know, but those are lovely moments. So I have to, so there, there you go. I confess that sometimes I don't remember people the first time I meet them. So all you DJs are going to criticize me. I love you all the same because I, I just dropped all your names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. You're cracking me up. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> nothing at all. Absolutely nothing wrong with John. It's the rest of them. <laughs> yes, yes. Make a note, please. All caps. <laughs> so, um, early 90s, you're running, you're managing the business. You're yeah. managing 30 people. What came next? What was your next business? Well, uh, wow. Just when, you know, like, yeah. So, everything's perfect, sort of. Uh, Rich and I, um, we're, we're, we were like one for all and all for one, like the two musketeers kind yeah. of thing. And we realized, as perfect as it all was, um, we just we just couldn't be fifty fifty, you know. Because, um, and I'm very strong believer in like owning copyrights and publishing. And basically, I made half of Rich's money, but then he made half of my money, and we made, you know, we each built something. So it was never fifty fifty, but we realized it's really not fifty fifty. Because yeah, like I, I I was recording, but I just I didn't mind managing, so I stopped be, being an engineer. Rich Perma borrowed my studio for a long time, so it was a good deal. He turned out to be a pretty good producer at the end of the day and a pretty <laughs> pretty famous techno guy. So actually, it's really tough, and I'll, and I'll say it honestly, that um, um, we decided to split up, a very amicable split up. So the first divorce I had in, in my life was with this guy called Richie Haughton. And uh, uh, we split up amicably, but it took me a long time because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm like, I felt that, um, you know, I'm the guy who built Plus 8, but he's the guy who embodied Plus 8. Yeah. I, I like to think at that time, and so to this day, I tend to be a bit more wonky. Uh, Rich is great, so, so, but I, I'm just sharing my personal thoughts on that. You know, I thought I built the company and managed the company, which, you know, I, I think he'll admit to. But darn, like, this is the first thing that made me internationally renowned. Um, I wasn't really, I was renowned as a DJ, but maybe nowhere near as much as techno because I didn't like techno all the time. Um, you know, I don't eat meat every day, so, you know, I don't like to play techno every night. Yeah. Um, and so it took me a long time to sell him the half of the company that I built. Yeah, of course. So, so stupidly... What year um, is this, by the way? Sorry. 1999. 99. So the, each decade, you know, it was a great decade, and it was so good that we just, you know, like, uh, but it... Okay, it's, it's, it's going to be different. And the world changed. So um, DJing was clearly successful. I was actually working more than Rich, so I was making very, very good money. Um, so stupid me, um, stupid me, I sell Rich 50% of plus eight. And, and just like in a, in a divorce, you know, you take the kids and I'll take the dog. Well, I took the dog. I took the vinyl plant, you know. <laughs> vinyl is dying and I fucking take the vinyl plant and I give him the plus eight. So John Aquaviva is officially, I mean, so clearly, like Rich and I are brothers. So Rich, you know, I am plus eight. I just yeah. don't make any money from it, but you know, it's, no, no, not yeah. so. He's plus eight, and I own a fucking vinyl plant. And at the same time, I discover Final Scratch was going to kill vinyl. So, how conflicted am I? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm king of the world. I'm making very good DJ money, which allows me to support my business ideas, needs, family. Um, 
but I've sold the biggest asset I ever created. And I don't know, you have to be honest, I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything again. I discover Final Scratch, but I own a vinyl plant. I'm dealing with the vinyl plant, still managing people, um, and it needs money. And I'm thinking, you know, it just, yeah, it's a long story. Um, uh, but basically, uh, the, it turned out okay because my mantra became managing the managers because uh -huh. I was still managing people. But the best money I was making was as a DJ. And, um, and the people that you were managing for, for what company was this? Uh, this is the uh, so my my vinyl plant was called Acme Vinyl okay. uh, Pressing, which is actually very funny if you watch the Coyote and the Roadrunner cartoons, okay. because the Coyote would always buy, all of my company names are very funny, I th or so I think. Um, and so, because <laughs> I I for those who I I really have a, a you know a very tongue in cheek. A very double entendre sort of a personality. I do speak in riddles. So the Acme Record Vinyl Company, Acme in Greek means the best, but it's also what the coyote who tried to kill the roadrunner all the time, he would order things from the Acme whatever company because he would order the best of something to trap or kill this damn bird. And he would always fail. So it was sort of like one of those, you know, parodies of, you know, I still had probably a dozen people at the plant. Yeah. Um, and, and that was down in Toronto, and uh, it, it was a tough one because working in a factory is tough, and I had some friends, and it cost me a few relationships. Like, uh, um, so, yeah, uh, and that's, the people and characters are totally opposite. So that's the thing, when you do a lot of things, each thing you do has its own world and universe, and jumping in and out of universes, um, is not easily done. Yeah. So as I tried to learn how to manage the managers, my assets, and a lot of them were personal friends, it was very difficult. Um, um, but um, when did when did Beatport come into all of this? So after we finally got Final Scratch launched, and I managed to finance and sell the plant friends. <laughs> Because uh, no, they could had no money, so I, this is where I started getting into banking and financing. Because you you, you got to make a deal happen, and sometimes if you're the only one, you have to finance the deal and make the contract. So, you know, ugly things that you have to do when you wake up after partying all night. Yeah. <laughs> contracts, yeah, contracts. The word that makes DJs gla uh, you know st stumble in their response, yeah. <laughs> and their eyes glaze over, you know. <laughs> and trust me, I confess, I too had mornings where all the coffee in the world would not help me read this contract <laughs> uh, because some of the words were not comfortable to me. Uh, and so, what was the question? Beat see, board. already I'm getting. I'm, I'm uh, on I'm, to beat all the ready. I'm, all the all. See, all over. You're I thinking contract, of contracts, and he's and like I'm falling apart. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so, Beatport. Once we got the laptop in the booth, it didn't really take off until there was content. So, um, a few other guys called me, and uh, we came together to launch Beatport. Uh, those the discussions happened in 2003. We launched in 2004, and the rest is history, really. Yeah. So that was a good one. I couldn't have planned it any better. Although That's it probably amazing. took me five years of managing the managers, starting to invest. So the decade of the 20s is like, I have made a great run. How do I stay relevant, but how do I make a transition? Yeah. Which is what we all talk about, but it's hard. And yeah, it took me, you know, five years, three years to do Final Scratch to just get it right. And then we had a bunch of issues. There's like multi-million dollar lawsuits if you dig deep on your Google uh, searches. And then uh, we launched uh, Beatport 
And, and that was the time I came and did my residence here, um, Aquaholic, which is a funny name, but um, man, I had... Do you know what? There's what? A, um, a billboard still. There's still a billboard. My friends are like, you're playing in Ibiza, you're doing a residence. the other day. In San Antonio, yeah. I took a picture of it. Yeah, thank you. I took so, a picture, I was going to send it so, to you. So, a funny story that, um, <laughs> like, the, I literally, when, when I used to be king of Spain or whatever, or prince, whatever, I, I think I had 14 billboards in town. Privilege promised me the world. They gave me 14 billboards and nothing else, but uh, <laughs> I had to pay for everything else, you know. But And I still have one to this day, so I guess that makes me a staple of Ibiza. Yes. So all my friends are like, Johnny, I thought you were like slowing down. You're doing a residency. I'm like, no, what that are you talking exactly about? exactly what happened to me. I was all stuck right. in traffic the other all day right. and I look out the window. I was like, right. John, John's got a residency again this year. And I was like, yeah. no, this nah, is a really nah, old billboard. Yeah. <laughs> I love that though. It's still yeah, there. I got a lot. Well, well, it's well, still there. Maybe, uh, maybe it's um, it's a sign that there, there's a comeback. Literally, <laughs> I'm yeah. coming back. I'm a, He's like, back. Like the fat Elvis in in Vegas, you know. You know, <laughs> I'm the fat Elvis looking to make a comeback. Hey, everyone, I need a residency. Uh, <laughs> let's do a crowdfunding campaign because I need a big budget to pull no off a big other, show. There's no other billboards that like they're all updated yeah. every uh, year, which is why it's cool and I like seeing it. I, I think I have a patron uh, saint who uh, or a patron fan in town is like, I love Excuse John. Me. I'm never going to take this billboard down. It just pays down. it every I'm year. Never, you know, <laughs> So thank you for my fairy god guardian billboard <laughs> person. <laughs> so where are we at now? Wow. What y- what year is it? <laughs> we are, let me have a thing. We're in 2019, I believe. Kill me now. Well, it's funny. So yeah, it's the end of a decade. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of us, um, well, it's relative to the world we live in. So we do live by our calendars. You know, 2000 was a big year for a lot of people. Yeah. And it was. So... Um, I tend to view things in decades, um, and um, and it makes a lot of sense. So I just did a, a speech about, um, you know, sound and vision, and that I, my life has been about sound. We love the sound. We come from the sound. And we've had vision, and it's time to start having a discussion where the vision is for 2020. And cheekily, here's another double entendre, I ended with the thought 2020 vision, which is a great label by Ralph Lawson, but 2020 vision means, you know, how clear can your vision be? And it never can be, but to have a vision for 2020 was the point. So a lot of my head and thought is with my groups and all the various projects I do, um, let's take a measure of where we are and where we're going. And I think Ibiza is a perfect example. Um, Ibiza, and I've argued privately, and I'll put it out there publicly for the first time, um, Ibiza to me is really analogous to Las Vegas. So if you ever watch Casino, you'll get yeah. a clue of what's going on in Ibiza. Yeah. You know, the Bugsy Malones are gone, you know? Yeah. You know, you know. Pepe is like Bugsy Malone in many regards. And he was allowed to, but eventually the island gets cleaned up. It gets gentrified. So you hear the discussions going, um, I miss the old Ibiza. You know, it doesn't have that edge or that sincerity or whatever, you know. Or, yes, now it's the real jewel of the world. And I live in both worlds. I mean, I've done very well in business. Um, um, we're not going to announce where we're doing this interview, but I do live in here and I don't live in a posh place. So I live, so I, I like to have one foot in reality and one foot in the future. Yeah. So, so I, I have friends on both sides. And, and so often as I joke when I, uh, earlier about arguing with my friends, I will, I will always argue one side or the other because I'm not about development at any price or any cost. I'm also not about living in the past. So I'm not going to be an old guy going, man, it was so much better in the old days when we used to, you know, get, you know, that, that's a lie. 
old people who tell you how great it was, be it your dad, your mom, or some old DJ about the great days of how great the clubs were. No, let's be real. I've played some great clubs, but most of them were subpar. So we've never had it better, but let's not be idiotic about how we just lose the, the plot. So Negative so so I'm I'm fine. I live in both worlds and it's not for me to say, but I will call people out for just a thought. So we have a big um consideration of where this island is going, where our scene is going. Like if if it's about nurturing people up, it's it's clear that this island young people can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 Ibiza um became successful because the other places priced themselves out and Spain was so cheap. Everyone was going to Riccione and Ravenna. Everyone went to Italy. Where are they now? Yeah. You know, they got posh and calcified and gentrified as well in their own way. Um, so each place, the, you know, even the Mediterranean, not just clubbing, but, you know, after the war, you know, people went to um, um, Sardinia, you know, um, Costa Esmeralda, and then the next generation went to the Côte d'Azur. And then the people came, you know, to the, the Italian coast and now Ibiza. And Ibiza moved on because young people can't come here. So so as cool as it is, and Vegas has, it went through that too. So Vegas just had all the old guys go there to die, like Elvis and Celine Dion and, yeah. and uh, whatever, David Copperfield. Uh, even now, uh, Vegas is booking all, all, all the top DJs and a little bit yeah, of they're underground. Having but... loads, they're quite, having quite a lot of, of, of parties going on there, like yeah. underground parties. Yeah, because... Because now that this is trendy, like people spend crazy money on yeah. tables and stuff, and Ibiza and um, and um, um, Vegas do that, and and some of the DJs who really have been a bit more of a tighter package, because I mean some of the more commercial guys, like I have friends with all, well, all the guys. I, I have great memories of Tyson. I remember we're at a, a, a um, Pasha DJ Awards, because um, so it, actually that's a funny funny thing, because like Tyson Sweetheart, and he had great taste so when when he was winning an award and he would just become like number one dj we were together and i i got nominated for a party because i was doing a lot of parties i i i think i might have won or got nominated for one of the best sets or party and he won like dj of the year he was like number one he's like john remember when we first met and actually i did remember my first met Ty tice <laughs> and he so i used to hang out with michelle high because we we used to do like a lot of stuff with speedy j and he used to work at a shop where he was the guy getting us records and he would give you know the underground djs the you know the techno and the commercial djs he had an amazing ear and i've had records um being old i've had you know derek i met derek carter at gramophone and he first time i met derek i remember because this guy was amazing he worked at gramophone and he pulled me the best house records and i bought ton of records and that same night I did a party with Speedy J and then I went to a warehouse party with Derek Carter and Mark Farina you know like that's like those are the great memories of traveling the world and making friends for the first time yeah. so I do remember some friends the first time I meet them but but those are like wow you know when it's the younger kids but Derek already is like he, he, he was like a guy who did you know, pulled me records and he rocked the party and I'm like you're a pretty good DJ I like I like <laughs> you're one he's still one of my favorite DJs Derek's amazing so Tice um Tice was like Man, he knew us. Like we walked in, he he knew he knew what in a minute what we liked. So it's no surprise that it became so successful. Successful, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's not really my music, but he came up to me, John. Remember, I'm like Tice. I'm so happy for you. You know, because oh, he he got successful in how he did. So so the funny thing is, we 
we in some of the media because it, it's good to have that controversy and stuff you know techno because i think once we were with steve aoki who's a lovely guy but totally different world so i'm with steve aoki rich and myself now i don't have that many fans but steve took a picture of me richie Houghton, and him we were having tea in singapore or something at some festival and rich's fans were so upset Really? You know, and Steve Aoki's fans are, oh, these techno guys or whatever, you know. <laughs> but Steve is like such a sweet guy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, let me, like, Steve Aoki, you got, we, 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 you know, you know, yeah, I, I can't slag Steve. I don't like, I don't like the music. You don't place, like the cake but, throwing. Well, yeah, it's so Marie Antoinette, but whatever, <laughs> you know. But, at the, but the thing is, we all have found our way to express ourselves in various ways. And, you know, I can express and, and explain who I am and why I do things. And I like to, you know, go back and forth. I never wanted to be a star. And these guys have that star quality and they found the way to do it and the way to express Because clearly I can sit here and criticize people for their content. But at the end of the day, a lot of fans like that. So I appreciate people for finding their way to success. And that's fine. Yeah. And in public, I'll go to the places I like. Um, in private, um, there's you know these guys are winners and they're actually really smart people and they're lovely people. So, um, so I you know I, there's always something or a lot to like about people. So you know I can sit here and cheekily criticize people. There's a reason why people draw and have their crowd and have their space and that's and that's sort of the whole thing. I don't need a lot of dessert, you know. Uh, you know, I go for more healthy food like um, veg and fish or meat. And some pop culture I view as a lot of candy and dessert, and that's fine. Okay. I, and that's okay. I don't eat sweets, and I can make fun of sweets, but it's not. I, I, I do that in a joking sort of way. So uh, the industry knows everyone. And then you don't have to be commercial or underground to be a dick. There's dicks in both, both, both areas. So therefore... Um, you know, some of the names, I, I made fun of a few people, but honestly, everyone I talked about, no, I, think are, I think are pretty awesome people in our industry. And, and the fans can have their arguments, like footballer fans. At the end of the day, if you're a top footballer, yeah, there's a few dicks, but there's a lot of great athletes that are lovely to watch for the way they play. Yeah. So I'm super at peace with that. Yeah. No, no, no. I totally agree with yeah. you. Um, we've been speaking for 56 minutes. <laughs> Great. I, I, hope your you I hope your show's an hour long. <laughs> Before we finish, yeah. um, I have started this new thing. So the podcast is called Can You Put Me On Guest List? I just, oh my God, can you put me on can guest you put list? Can you put me on guest list? Because I was like, I need to think of a, a catchy name. And I was like, that's kind of something everyone can kind of relate yes. to. So my last question for you is, can you give us one guest list rule? Oh, okay. Guest list rule is... Um, yeah, don't blag more than you need to. So depend in our world, um, I, 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 the joke is it's it's always John Aquaviva plus eight or more. So you know, I, as those who know me, I show up with my entourage. You know, don't take advantage. Don't take advantage, and if you go, you should go. So I'm like sometimes like I'm on a bunch of guest lists, and I'll, I'll really make an effort to go because I I still respect the fact that you know. Even in, in some places, you, 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 there's only so much space. So my friends, of course, they'll let me in, but it's not fair for me to go. You know, I, I actually still have a respect in that 
industry should be respected, should get free or, you know, try to get on a list. But, you know, it's, it's a perfect world. You know, there's, there's courtesy and there's taking advantage of. So I'm just always being sensitive to a fair balance. So, but the, re- the very quick record is my all-time guest list blag is like, so I'm hanging out with Macy Oplex, who I haven't dropped his name. I love Eric and Christine. And we're all like super too. close friends and family. So, so, um, they're lovely, but I, I I did a last minute on them, which is like you need to really prepare with them, you know. So it's so, so like, listen, I need guest list, and I'm like, I send like umpteen names, and Christine's like, John, you're killing me. I'm like, okay, great. So I show up, and I wanted to impress my friends. We're in, in Mexico or something. I'm like, just say your name. You're on the guest list. Trust me. Like I trust me. I know Eric and Christine, you know, and then, and so like um they're um my friends say their name, and they're like they're not on the guest list. I'm like. They're not on the guest list. Not like four people try. Shit. Okay. So I'm okay. I have to do this because I hate going up. And even though people don't know who I am, sometimes they might recognize the name. And so um, I go up. I'm like, uh, sorry. Um, I'm just with the group, and it seems my friends aren't on the list. But um, my name is um, uh, John Aquaviva. And they're like, mm, let's look. And they didn't recognize, which is fine. I actually don't like to be recognized. I'm pretty shy and awkward. And so they're like, mm, John Aquaviva plus 15. <laughs> so they do love me. They do. <laughs> That's my all-time record guest list. John Aquaviva plus 15. Plus 15. Love that. <laughs> I'm I'm just bigger than ever. <laughs> it's not plus eight, it's plus fifteen. Yeah, I'm, big time. John, thank you so much. I have enjoyed pleasure. this chat so much. Oh, Katie, always a pleasure. Let's do a part two sometime soon. De- next year, next <laughs> year, part right. two. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Lovely. Bye bye.